Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I'll start talking when I feel like it. <laughs> wow. The rebellious president of Mission USA. That's, That's good. Glenn Fitzgerald, a man who's wearing his Obey Records shirt. That's right. And is feeling a little rock and roll. That's right. Yeah, it's good. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings, salutations. A much more subdued mm. and well-behaved Jed Brewer, for reasons we'll get into here in a moment. <laughs> joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I have an open two-pound bag of M&Ms. And well, I'm just yeah. pounding them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they don't tell says, it says party size, which apparently means exactly forty two ounces of party M and M's. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, here's here's the thing they don't tell you. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk of healthcare going around the greater circles now. Yeah. When you're when you're a youth pastor, these are the kind of things you're surrounded by constantly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's always party size M and M's, family size bag of chips. Really, more food that is meant to be to be consumed by one person. Yes. But you also don't have a ton of time. Not only that, so, but food that's meant to be consumed by seventeen-year-old persons. Yeah, if yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. All this is pointed in the exact wrong direction for today's episode. That's we got, true. We, we do have some. an interview, a very classy interview, a very good interview with uh, Julian Deschazier, who is a pastor. He's a writer. He's a musician. Whoa. He's an actor. Yes. Whoa. Jed, I believe you have some more details on that for us. Uh, this is a gifted, multi-talented man who has won an Emmy Award. Whoa. We are not classy enough as a show to host an Emmy Award winner. Definitely. And on that base, I declare a classiness emergency. Whoa. I already Look, feel like you're like, I, I, I feel bad. Like the you're saying yeah. that the That's podcast isn't classy enough because of me in some way. Yeah. Well, Lee, if you're feeling convicted that, uh, you know, you need to raise the classiness level, well, um, you know, I think that's something you need to think about. Why are your eyebrows suddenly (laughs) so much higher on your face? If um, you feel like uh, that you have some sin areas in your life, (laughs) well, perhaps that's something you should pay attention to. Yeah, uh, mm. always behind the curtain, folks. Our our goal is to make this episode friendly to people who'd never listened before, <laughs> because we're gonna have a guest, and hopefully, you know, some people who like uh, Mr. Deshazier would and Jay Quest would kind of tune in the, the podcast. Uh, I think Jed pretty much has ruined that two minutes in with the creepy voices. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we can't help but be ourselves, folks, and that's why we need to class this join up. We gotta that's class right. it up. What are we gonna do? Why are you looking at me when you say that? Because what are we gonna do? Gerald, we gotta class it up. Okay, first of all, this is this is what I want to tell you is that this dude's won an, an Emmy. Yes, sir. Yes. Right. Uh but I think what by having just by having him on, he's yeah. classing us up. Well that is true. We're getting a halo effect for sure. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if they have any form of podcast reward, but if they do, I assume it's called a potty. Sure, yes. Okay. Oh, that's a good and point. I know there are podcast awards, and that name's not any dumber than the real ones, so. So I think, you know, the, the thing is. potty mouth. <laughs> if we had a potty. Jed's never been happier. <laughs> if, if we had a potty. And also, I didn't realize what Glenn was driving at until just that moment. We so will feel like we're classy enough. Yeah. You You're see? saying we need to prepare ourselves for that, maybe potty training. That's yes! right. <laughs> Potty training. Not helping my own case. That's correct. Not helping my own case. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we're off to a great start with the uh, with the classiness. All right, here are the typical things you do to class it up. Yeah. Okay, a few things. Okay. First of all, oak paneling. Okay. Wow. Rich mahogany in the studio. Smoking jackets. Right. Smoking jackets. Uh huh. Fine tobacco. Deodorant. De- <laughs> <laughs> a accurate, and B the only thing on this list that's not from 1963. So that's good. <laughs> I think I think we can just stop right there. Many important leather-bound books. Right. You got to have that. Right. Uh, just deodorize everything. Just spray uh, it me, willy-nilly. I think, let me run down a few things I'm not sure about. Hit me. Socks with sandals. Negative. Not classy. Okay. Anything on the Taco Bell menu. Delicious, not but not classy. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah. The the uh, taco where the outside is fried chicken is classy because that's paleo. Yes, paleo is classy. How about long sleeve polo shirts in a solid color? Oh, mm. I did you maintain at least the rank of captain in the United States military? Ooh, above, point. fine, below, not classy. <laughs> okay, let me just let me just put it out there. Shorts. T-shirt, mm-hmm. T-shirt tucked into shorts. Not classy no. and not cool. Bad Tuxedo call. T-shirt. Rejected. Over three, over four. <laughs> uh, pants with pleats of any kind. Oh, if you're in Brooklyn, maybe classy. Mm. Well, hipsters is not classy. Yeah, no, hipsters are never classy. Pro- yeah, provisionally mm. classy, possible uh, to yeah. be reviewed by the committee. Sansa belt. <laughs> oh, oh no! Also, you found you apparently found those at a thrift store. They're sold in 1974. You That's don't want right. those. That's right. <laughs> okay, what about a, a what about a T-shirt you got at Panama City? With airbrushed faces of all your uh, missionary heroes from yesterday. Yesterday. Whoa. Very classy. Yeah. And comes, for the win. Comes all the way around. Yeah. What? Anything, any piece of merchandise referencing South Carolina's Tybee Island. Yeah, that's classy. That's classy. Oh. Okay. Now, I have uh, uh, tennis shoes. Yes. With danger. Velcro. Ooh. Wow. Uh, Safe. Velcro, Velcro culture. Classy. <laughs> let me let me put this out there. I got me a wallet. Yes. Also Velcro closure. Not classy, no. unacceptable. It's hard. It's you, you never hear anyone, you know, at the Morton Steakhouse and say when they drop the four hundred dollar bill and say, Oh, I've got that. Yeah. yeah. And then hand them their Amex black card. That okay, well, I got one more for you. you. Got one, let's hear it. Board shorts. Yes. Ooh. Velcro fly on yes. the board short. Wait, yeah. wait, mm-hmm. let's class it up. Members only jacket. Yes, yeah, very yeah. classy. I don't okay. think you know what that word means. <laughs> that leads. I th- I think I've got. I it. think Kanye's ruined what classy is. I can't even imagine this outfit. <laughs> I think I've got it. There's nothing classier than prestige TV. All right. Oh, now, right. now we're getting back on track. Okay. okay. I'm talking uh, about your you know, AMCs, your Breaking's Bad, Mads Men. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Now right. here's the thing: to do those shows right, somebody's got to die. Right. Okay, this is just the thing. This took sure. an unfortunate turn. Uh, All right. I, I smell myself come in. We've got to kill off a podcast cast member. Wow. I love it. Wow. There's just no way around this. I think that's fantastic. That's what makes Prestige TV is slow-moving narratives right. where people die, yeah. and it's emotionally excruciating. Yeah. There are other things that make Prestige TV, but I don't know I don't know that we can get away with pointless nudity on the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going to have to hey, stick to murder. It's an audio hey, tell you what. everyone. I'm going to put this out there right now. I'm going to run it up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes it. And here's what I'm saying. 
I'm ready to get naked right now. Nope. Pass. If that's what it takes. Do you? Do you save that kind of smut? Up. You save that kind of smut for Game of Thrones. I we will were literally class trying this to make up. this more family friendly. This particular episode. <laughs> yeah, we talked it's about like, it before we hit record. This we really has did. to be more. I, exa- I quote exact. <laughs> New people will be listening. Let's keep it under control. And we keep got it to, to a dull roar. This Eight. show is like you know those finger traps you used yeah. to get at the fair to kid yeah, yeah, as a kid. Yeah. When the more you pulled on it, the, the tighter it got. Yeah. That's yeah. what we. Are. We're going to go right. ahead and cut this off before it just spirals completely out of control. Yeah. Tune in next week to find out which one of us dies. And on that basis, I declare a very classy emergency off. And, and just to be clear, should I still get naked? No. Or no? Okay. <laughs> no. I wasn't sure where that we would going not with be that. an emergency off situation. <laughs> that would be an emergency all its own. Yes. <laughs> I see. Okay. So, sometimes we, we're kicking things around. Absolutely. I don't know where we landed. Sure, no, absolutely. It's you know, good clarification. That's very important. <laughs> Whew, that was a rough one, folks. Yeah. We good tried. Luck transitioning. Yeah, we tried, which we is the main tr- thing. We really did. We tried and we failed. Yes. Horrible. To quote the great thinker H.J. Simpson, the lesson is never try. Mm-hmm. But we're going to give it a keen whack again with Bridgebox. Again, I can't tell you the 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 importance that Bridgebox, if you're not familiar, is our monthly subscription media service. For only $8 a month, you get songs, sermons, occasional videos, guest devotionals, Bible studies, that kind of stuff, all based around a topic. We'll be in the month of April when this comes out, and the topic will be, what does God want me to do with my money? Um, here's the thing about Bridgebox. Is since it only comes out once a month, we have time for editing. Yes. Mm. Time for quality control. Yeah. Time for oversight. We yeah. don't just turn on microphones and then jump around like hyenas jacked up on the Mountain Dew, which is clearly <laughs> what we do on this show. Yeah. So it's a different experience. It's had uh, many editorial eyes on it. And that, I think, you'll agree, makes for a much classier listening and viewing experience. Sometimes I, I type stuff out for Bridgebox in the nude. So that's, it's about the same. Sure. That's that is just about <laughs> authenticity. That's right. I'm glad that's uh, oftentimes, folks. If you listen to the show for a while, you probably know there's a running gag that establishes itself during. Keeps on going. Yeah, I think you, if the more eagle-eared listener, will have identified what this show's running gag will be. We're all excited for the outro. But missionusa.com slash bridgebox, if you want to check this out for yourself, all the good stuff you get. If you head on over there, you'll get some samples you can download, find out what it's all about. And the most important thing about Bridgebox is a way for you as someone who likes the podcast, who likes what we do here in Chicago, with guys getting out of jail, guys getting out of addiction, guys and gals, I should say. We have we had 20 women at the bridge last week, which I think may be a record. Yes. And it was an amazing service. And But what we get to do with those folks were our part-time staff people like our deacons get to do for those folks is all because of folks like yourself around the world who support what we do via Bridgebox because you like the podcast. It's an amazing thing for us. If you want to get on board, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right. We're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, When the Bible says the wicked, who are they referring to? For instance, Proverbs 15.29, The Lord is far from the wicked. As someone who believes in Jesus but has been wandering often and giving up on fighting the battle, do I fall in the category of the wicked? Do my atheist friends or family fall in the category of the wicked? I always get really uncomfortable reading these passages. Thanks, guys. And Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off because I don't think our friend who wrote in the question here is the only one who gets uncomfortable when they hear the Bible referring to people they know and may be as wicked. But what does that really mean when we break it down, what's actually in the Scripture? Well, what... 
what we're looking at here, and and I love the way that you you kind of broke down where you are in in this for us and in, in the question because uh, we can absolutely confirm that as a person who believes in Jesus, you are not in this category uh, at all. Um, you are. Th- this is what the Bible says about you: that you are an adopted child of God, for whom Jesus gave His life. That He has brought you into fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven. You are going to heaven. No one can ever take that away from you. You are righteous in the sight of God. He He loves you. You're sealed. You have the down payment already with the Holy Spirit living inside you. I mean, it's just all good news. And you know, when people um, when people don't have a relationship with the Lord. And, and, and that's really, you know, what the Bible is, is, is talking about with this kind of categorization uh, of somebody who is outside of this relationship. You're looking at that and you're thinking, man, that is sad and it is uncomfortable. It's unbelievably difficult to stomach. And the thing is, is that it is a sad deal, but there's no, it's kind of one of those things where there's no group that's easier to get out of than than this group. Uh, if somebody wants to be forgiven, if they want a new life, if they want to know God, they can have it for free. They can have it easily. This is this is the this is the situation in the world that is the flat out easiest to get out of. Uh, the Lord loves them. The Lord wants them to know Him. He wants to give them a an eternal life with him forever. He wants to forgive them. He wants to pardon them. He wants to bring them into his family. He could not want it anymore. Jesus came and gave his life, his blood, his breath for it. And so it's a deal where he wants to reach them. He wants us to participate in that whole thing. We have good news for people, good news for the hurting, good news for the brokenhearted. And if if folks are outside of a relationship with the Lord, that is the literally that's the easiest situation we have to fix in all of the world because the lord wants them we want them in that family if they want to be forgiven if they want a new life they can simply have it and so i think that's i think it's good to look at this and and say even though it is a difficult and uncomfortable thing to think about and to and to try to figure out this really comes down to it being the Lord's business, and at the same time, we have great news. We have great news for those of us who have come to believe in Jesus, great news for those who want a brand new start, a brand new heart, and a new chance at life. I think that's an absolutely fantastic place to start this off, and Glenn, can you pick up pick us up there exactly, kind of, um, Leah's absolutely right, if you're someone who's, you know, you're made one with Christ, you are, you are forgiven, you're not in this category here, but a friend talks yeah. about, you know, you also have that fleshly bit that you're talking about where you fall off and you have some problems. So right. how is that different than what's being referred to in these verses? Well, yes, I mean, I think you certainly should be reading Scripture with uh, with an eye to, if, if God is talking about imperfection, well, that would relate to you, because, you know, and there's a lot in the Bible about sin and that, that you know, referring to in, in an imperfect person who is making mistakes and, you know, causing problems for themselves and so forth. Uh, this uh, this uh, verse is talking about people who are wicked in uh, Proverbs 15, 29. You got uh, significantly more Southern when you said that word. <laughs> yeah. Happens to all of us. Wicked. wicked. So wicked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wicked children's. Uh, but uh, here's the thing is... Um, uh, if you look into the original Hebrew of, of that verse, I, I think you it the same word is translated elsewhere as offender. Uh, uh, it, it, that word may be defined as guilty of hostility to God or his people. 
that's not really probably where you're at. <laughs> Maybe you say some curse words you shouldn't. Maybe you look at stuff on the internet that you shouldn't. You know, maybe you uh, kind of color outside the lines a bit here and there. You're an imperfect person. Uh, you need to be humble about that. You need to be honest about that. You need to let God uh, change those things within you that are imperfect and that cause you pain and limit your your life in certain ways. But uh, that does not make you uh, put you on an equal footing with someone who is hostile to God right. and or his people. That, that's... Categorically, it's an entirely different thing, and I think it is worth examining and asking, is there a reason why you feel drawn to that particular interpretation here? And In other words, I, I get that part of what you're saying here is that you feel like there's a line that one could cross where, it, where God's really massively displeased with this. Uh, and while that is true, um, I'm sure, uh, what makes you think you're anywhere near that? I mean, we, we get the question all the time uh, of uh, what is the unforgivable sin with the idea of— it's, Probably something I've done. It, yeah, it's almost uncertainly whatever I'm doing. Uh, almost, almost Probably something doubt. you can do accidentally, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, we, you know, uh, it, we have a way of— uh, sort of projecting ourselves into those. If I see a condemnation happening, I'm projecting myself into that because I think I should be condemned or I'm a, I am living a condemnable life in some sort of way. And we're not looking at things the way Lee is just laying them out there of God's love and his acceptance and his forgiveness and, and all of that. So uh, I think it is uh, understanding this verse and the rest of Scripture is a about taking in the totality of scripture in order to to figure out where to draw those lines and what's going on but b it's about recognizing is there a reason within yourself why why it's hard for you to feel like mm -hmm. uh I, I you know i'm 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 one of those that god understands about because i'm an imperfect person as opposed to I am an infidel that is trying to destroy Christianity, and God is displeased with that. That's yeah. the, that's those are that's a big contrast there. Not according to the books I read. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Pretty similar, apparently. But coming to coming to this guy's church and putting money in the plate really changes my status, which is weird. But yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Jed, let me go to you on this. And exactly as these guys are laying out, and I think we can uh, zero in on it. Um, there is this is really not a behavioral issue. This is kind of a status issue. Read yeah. the whole the whole verse this person is quoting is Proverbs fifteen, uh, verse twenty nine, which says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And as we know from just basic kind of uh theology one oh one, Romans five one tells us that we are justified and that means declared righteous because of what Jesus did, yep. not anything we do. So if we as as these guys have both said, you can't see this totally you can't see this really totally through the lens of behavior. But what happens if we divorce it from kind of behavior altogether and look at what these verses mean? Well, that's a great question. Let's back it up even farther. Let's look at the whole Bible for a second. Oh. And we'll we'll break this whole thing down. We don't have a lot of time. I know, but we're gonna be super fast, man. Be fast. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's yes. Very start there. Good. Yes. <laughs> Spirit of God hovering over the waters. It was a whole thing. Right. Okay. Here's the deal. Here's the most important verse in the entire Bible. You've heard it before. It is John 3.16. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him 
would not perish, but have eternal life. Kind of hacky. It's the most important verse in the Bible. Here's the thing. Everything that comes before that verse is setting it up. Everything that comes after is explaining it. Right. That's it. That's the most important verse in the Bible. Here's what it means for you. You are a sinner. Right. Period. The end. Full stop. Are you wicked? I don't know. Um, that's, that's a, a worthy question to ask. Uh, it turns out as Glenn's pointing, it's a little on the complicated side. Yeah. And if you're reading your Bible, probably you're not, it's kind of a classic case. So if you're worried, this might be you, it's not, you. it's probably yeah, not you, yeah, yeah. but, but are you a sinner? Yeah. You yeah. super duper are. Definitely. And so am I. And yep. so are all of us on this podcast. So is everyone, you know, right. Uh, that's, that's all we've got. In fact, that's what the Bible says for all have sinned right. and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. Uh, here's God's deal. You have done wrong things. You continue to do wrong things. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Right. Jesus is going to pay it all. You yep. just say, I want that. Boom. You're right. declared righteous. Mm-hmm. Your sins are forgiven. You're given a fresh start with God, a new relationship. Eternity in heaven with him is a free gift of salvation. Just yours for the asking. Right. And if you want it, you have it. Yes. That's that's done. That's the thing. I think the place, and this goes to the comments Glenn was making, and he's right. I think the thing that we have a struggle dealing with is, okay, but am I still a sinner? Right. Because you are. Yeah. Now, as Lee said, are you still wicked in the sense that that verse is describing? No, you're no. you're not. And yeah. that's both both Lee and Glenn are saying the same thing on that. Mm-hmm. But like, are you an enemy of God? That's what when right. it says wicked, that's yeah. what it means. It's an enemy of God. Right. Are you still an enemy of God? No, you're not. You're right. you're God's child. But you're super duper still a sinner. You are yeah. still a person that yeah. does wrong things. Yeah. You're an imperfect person. You're an imperfect person. You do wrong things all day, every day. It's right. not that you once in a while, you're mostly good, but once in a while you do something kind of <laughs> right. naughty. Right. Man, you're doing wrong stuff all the time. Right, right. right. And here's how I know. So am I. Yeah. We, we, we all are. And you will be a sinner till the day you die, until you shuffle off this mortal coil. That That is, is going to be part of your deal and part of your life. But it's not the whole part. Mm-hmm. And it's not the last word, and it doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. God loves you exactly as you are right now today. And you could not change a thing and not improve at all, and he would still love you and want right. you and desire you and treasure you. But he wants to give you a new life. He That's wants to right. teach you a new way to live and take you on adventures and show you amazing things and sights and let you be a part of his transformative work in the world. And you will enjoy all of that, and you should do all of that. But here's the thing. Believing you're wicked will keep you from joining God on that journey. Right. Mm. Accepting that you're a sinner will not keep you from joining God on that journey. But believing that you're wicked will. And we want you to let go of that Mm. thought. We want Mm. you to let go of this fear. Maybe I'm a secret enemy of God. You're not. You're God's child. You're his friend. He loves you. He's paid it all. If you've said yes to Jesus, it's done and it's taken care of. So now let go of that fear and join God on that journey he's dying to take you on. That is utterly... Fantastic. We're now going to go to our interview segment. This is uh, Reverend Julian DeChazier. He is the senior pastor at the University Church of Chicago. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Chicago Divinity School in McCormick Theological Seminary. He regularly writes for Huffington Post and Sojourners. On top of that, he is, as aforementioned, an Emmy-winning actor, and he is a rapper who goes by the uh, the name Jay Quest, who has uh, an album out that we will talk about during the interview and talk about a little bit later. I think this dude's trying to uh, trying to send us a message. He's making us look bad. Whoa! With all and it's all really good stuff. He he wrote an he came to our attention. Jed found a Sojourner's article he had written that was kind of 
not totally about, but it was in the wake of the uh, the Orlando Pulse shooting. And it was uh, the idea was if if God calls you to speak, don't stop speaking. I believe was yeah. the title of it, something like that. And uh, it's really a very cool chat about kind of activism and the roles anyone can have in that, the role that uh, uh, we as Christians should have in that, and coming along, especially if you're a person of uh, the, as uh, Glenn would put it scientifically, the Caucasian persuasion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it may be a t- We're maybe at a time kind of in your life and polit- political stuff, kind of stuff, where you're wondering, this. there seems to be a lot of messed up stuff going on, but what's my role in that? I don't want to speak for people. I don't want to... He uses an amazing phrase of, we need to stop... People need to stop worrying about being allies and be accomplices. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool idea. There's a lot of uh, really good stuff in this chat, so we're going to take you to that conversation with Julian DeChazier right now. I mean, I started as a musician, as a kid on the south side of Chicago and loving hip-hop, being a part of hip-hop culture and writing music, you know, learning songs from the artists on the radio. I would be, I would try to be the first person to come to school the next day and, and know all of those records because uh, you got extra cool points if you knew all those lyrics. And Absolutely. so that kind of evolved into me writing my own songs that were relevant to my own identity and the things that I was going through at home and in the community around me. And so Quest came first. And out of that, uh, while traveling and going to so many different places as Quest, I began to, to fall in love with the with church again and with the idea of these institutions in the middle of communities who, who could really do some powerful work, not just of praying, but of being with people. And so I kind of fell in love with, with the with the idea of being in church one day and, and so ended up at seminary. And so pastor came next after that. And then professor sort of came after that. That's a really fascinating uh, way to look at that in an entry point, that idea of the church as a place that does something. I feel like maybe a lot of uh, folks who are in, used to a more suburban church experience aren't really familiar with the way that a church in a place like the South side of Chicago really has an an influence and a place in its community. Can you maybe explain that a little bit and how you've experienced that and how that maybe informs the stuff you guys try to do? Well, on the south side of Chicago, it the history of the city is very much also the history of churches in the city, whether it's the Catholic diocese or when uh, Polish immigrants come into the city, that diocese, which is part of the Catholic diocese, comes as well, and that is strengthened even more, and the church is helping advocate for the unions and other kinds of things that are happening, that those are key institutions that are either mediating and advocating for the people who are being affected the most. And so you see that when the, uh, the Great Northern Drive or the Great Migration of black folks that came uh, between like the 1920s and 1940s into Chicago when the city just really exploded with African-American folks, um, that the black church was really a central institution. And that's been the case, I mean, across the entire country. You know, the reason why the, the, the four little girls in Birmingham are bombed is because the church is the center of the civil rights movement, and those little girls live right around the church. And so the church has always been, or at least up until very much recently, has been understood as kind of this local organizing entity and this local action institution where like things if things needed to happen 
the church was the place where you can go and depend on that. And a lot has changed because of technology and commuter churches. You know, people can go an hour away uh, and go to church now. So that shifted a little bit. But uh, a lot of my thinking around what church is, a lot of my ecclesiology kind of depends on uh, the church being, taking its space and its place very seriously. Not just the fact that we're like God's universal church, capital C, whatever, you know, this is an outpost of that. Yes, but we're also on 57th and University in the South Side, and the people who are coming in here are dealing with South Side issues, and so we should be as well. Absolutely, and that uh, that transitions me into, I'd love to talk about your Sojourner, Sojourner's article, uh, When God Calls You to Speak, Don't Stop Speaking, and people can find that at uh, sojo.net, you can search for... Uh, Julian DeChazier, and you'll find that. It's a fascinating look at exactly like that. I suppose uh, it was written in the wake of the uh, Pulse shooting in Orlando, and you talk about breaking out of the kind of two-week cycle of outrage and thought that progressive Christians tend to give things. What What is... I, I, I absolutely agree with that assessment, unfortunately, but how do these kind of things, the way you think of the church, the way you think of your ecclesi- ecclesiology, help do that, help focus, help keep on those issues? Well, you know, I wrote that article because I was so frustrated with, and, and it wasn't about Orlando, it was about every time something happens, we are so mad and we use our social media to just get on fire about issues, and then, like, everybody goes away. And so I think some people initially thought that I was saying like, we shouldn't get mad or we shouldn't say anything. No, I like speak, speak, but don't Mm -hmm. stop speaking. Like two weeks later when the cameras have gone, is there going to still be a core of people who feel called and connected to this issue who can, can continue to push uh, the notions of, of the issues of gun violence or, uh, or however we're talking about that issue, you know, uh, rights for LGBTQ, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, like somebody has to still be talking about that. So if the entire mass gets up and moves to the next issue, we really don't have a movement happening. We just have these, these grenade moments of deep intensity that don't last. I mean, it's, it's the five-hour energy activism that I think we're really a part of, and it is really a part of our culture right now, because as soon as something happens, we can get mad about it real quick, you know, but you don't hear many people talking about it two or three weeks later, and I I think that that's not faithful action in terms of our call, or what I believe our call to be in reading Jesus, uh, to, to love our neighbor, you know, and love ourselves, and to serve both while we're serving God. And that means that the issues of our neighbor are our issues. And that means that those people are our neighbor. And so when we come together as church, it's not just to worship God, it's to to ask these tough questions and have these tough conversations about like, all right, well, how are we part of this? You know, are we as welcoming and accessible uh, to oppressed communities and vulnerable communities as we want to be or as we claim to be or as we're supposed to be, you know, and so it becomes a part of our mode of thinking and action. And yeah, we pray and sing and we do all those things on Sunday, but like the action of the church is now about every other moment. It is continuous and not like Sunday from 10 to 12. 
Absolutely. I, and you mentioned earlier that idea of the, the church as a, a center of a community and a center of activism versus the, as the you know, the 10 to 2 idea, the commuter idea. Do you think the, the role of uh, the church and particularly church leadership can be important in that kind of uh, directing these emotions that spring up in people quite rightly? But it seems that sometimes they spring up and then they don't have anywhere to go other than a burst on social media. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the major issues is that of the movement right now, and it has many different facets, but, you know, if we could call it in a macro sense, like the movement of uh, vulnerable people who are reclaiming their dignity in this country that has denied it to them for however many generations, you know, like that movement needs to continue to be informing people like we need to do the knowledge and we need to be strategizing inside of communities. Uh, and so the church is very valuable as a space, like a meeting space uh, for people to gather together and what can often seem like neutral space, if that makes sense. But like, you know, there are some people who are allies who are like, well, I don't feel some people would say, I don't feel comfortable going to Englewood, a community in Chicago uh, that is almost exclusively African-American saying like, Hey, I'm down with the movement, but I don't feel comfortable going over there. But more people say like, I don't know if I belong over there. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can come over there. And so churches can be these nice neutral locations for meeting spaces where the leaders of Inglewood are still leading the meeting. They're still, uh, giving the strategy and helping inform allies, but now they're able to widen the base a little bit more. And so churches, and, and I've heard this directly, I'm not making this up now, I've heard this directly from organizers on the ground here in Chicago who, where I've asked, like, what do you want pastors to know? What do you want church folk to know? What do you want well-meaning uh, folks who call themselves progressive or all about justice or all about God and people to know? And they said, well, church is great as a meeting space. Church is great as a healing space, and, mm. and the leaders of church can provide healing. I think we underestimate how draining the movement is for people who are in it on a day-to-day -day basis whose lives are affected the most. And we underestimate how draining all that yelling, whether, whether into a bullhorn at a protest or on social media, how, much, how draining that is for folks to engage that, to try to engage ignorance on a 24-hour basis now, uh, and that the church, they said directly to me, like, you know, we could host meetings sometimes where we just are offering care to folks and are just praying for folks and are just helping them to speak their voice and that that would be appreciated by many folks. Uh, one of the real issues or tensions between church and the movement right now are that uh, when church comes in, it tries to take over the movement. Mm. You know, it says, hey, you got to do it our way. We got to do it like we did it in the 60s. It's, they need to be the front voice on everything. And so we need a new way of thinking about that. We need to be better partners as church folk uh, and as faith folk. We need to be better partners with people who are uh, Muslim and people who are agnostic. And many of these people in the movement who've been exiled from church because they uh, most, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is about protecting the black queer woman, you know, and that, that does not resonate with a lot of people's Christian values. And so we, I think church has been poor partners uh, and we need to do a, a lot better job. And I think we can, I really do think we can, but we got it. We're going to have to like 
move quick here before people just give up on, on us altogether. It's uh, those are amazing points, and they point to something you you a uh, line you dropped in the middle of the article, which is that even privilege has a purpose, and certainly, That's right. um, particularly as you point out, allies, um, uh, particularly if they're white, have a certain amount of privilege, be it uh, standing next to police or being somewhere. There's a privilege that uh, folks of color don't have, and churches, even if they wouldn't think of themselves as way, even if it is a church in Englewood. Um, has a certain privilege as far as having a building or having That's a right. certain standing in the community. But could you ex- uh, explain to uh, our mostly young, uh, progressive white audience that idea? I think the I- a lot of the idea in some of these Twittery circles is that uh, privilege is something to be ashamed of and to be tried to give up at some point as quick as you can. That's right. Which is it's That's right. maybe not wrong, but this idea of privilege is something that can be redeemed and used in a positive way, I think could be incredibly powerful. Yeah, no, I think that there's this, this scripture that got me thinking about this for the first time, a scripture in Amos, uh, where God says to Amos, you're, you're the plumb line, right? Which, which always existed outside of the building to be able to offer uh, assistance and stability to the building itself. Whereas if you were in the building, you wouldn't be able to see whether the building was balanced or not. Right. And I've always used that metaphor as a way to think about privilege that for most folks who are young and black and part of black lives matter, or who align with those ideas, they're in the building, right? Even I'm in the building, you know, and, and affected by that the most. And then there are folks who can be outside the building who you don't have to feel guilty you're not in the building. You, you don't have to feel guilty um, that, that you're not as threatened. But now we can be curious and ask, well, since I'm not there, do I still have a role or a place in this movement? When it comes to Orlando, the shooting, if I'm not gay and therefore not affected by this all the time, do I still have a place inside of this movement? And I think if, we, if we're honest about the answer, then it's yes, we do. Mm-hmm. We can be advocating. We can be using uh, our access that we have. People might listen to us a little bit more for whatever reason and use our networks to give them deeper voice so that they can speak, so that they can uh, be able to go into rooms and spaces where others can't go. So one of the things that, one of the ways in which I use uh, my privilege, whether as a an educated person or sort of uh, a middle class person, you know, however we want to think about that, or male, uh, you know, whatever kinds of privileges I have is that, like, say, if I'm invited into a room at the city of Chicago, like, I'm always going to try to bring a young person with me, a young woman with me, so that and then when it's time to speak, like, I might, like, curiously need to go use the bathroom right now, sure. you know, and be gone for the next two hours. And, that, and now it's them and the, it's their meeting. It's them being able to speak to these folks because uh, we're not doing a good enough job as people of privilege of listening to those voices or of advocating that those voices are heard. We're kind of yelling our own outrage that this is happening to them, but what will it mean for us to be with them? And so sometimes I, I think we need to move away from the space. And I think there's a space, I think you'd agree, for guilt. And uh, it could move us into to, uh, more responsible and more ethical, more loving behavior. 
but it shouldn't be out of guilt. There's you know, apostolic guilt, I think, has run its course. I think we now need to be thinking about doing things not out of guilt, but out of love. And so let's use our privilege. God has allowed us to have it. We have it. In most cases, let's not be proud of it because you didn't do anything to get it, right? Mm-hmm. So let's now figure out how we can use it to love the least of these. And it's an amazing idea, and I think it could be a transformative one, particularly for young people who are coming from a place of privilege and don't really know where they fit into all this. The idea that uh, anything, including your societal privilege, is a tool that God can use is a, a very important, I think you'd agree, first step in being an ally and informing the way you want to do that well. And uh, Reverend Shazi, I can't thank you enough for your time. We'll, and people can find that article on Sojourners. They can also find your music at jquest, J-K-W-E-S-T dot com. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And I, I just want to say one more thing. It's, Absolutely. It's one, thing to be, it's one thing to be allies, but allies can love from a distance. What we want to be and what we need to be is accomplices. We need to be next mm-hmm. to people in the work of justice. Uh, so let's, let's challenge ourselves to be even more than allies and to go and be accomplices with the folks who need us right now. Amen. Thank you very much for having me. We definitely want to thank uh, Julian for taking the time to talk with us. That was a fantastic talk. The one, the one failing on my end as interviewers, we didn't get as much time to talk about his music as I would have liked, but luckily we're going to be able to take you out with a J-Quest track later in the show. And if you want to check out his music, which you really should, it is is very good. There's a lot of it available for you to peruse at J-Quest. That's J-K-W-E-S-T dot com. You can always check out Huffington Post and Sojourners for more of his writing. You can uh, search his name, which will, of course, be in the episode description if you need some help spelling that. We are going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says... What are the bounds of having friends of the opposite sex while you are in a relationship? Hey. You'll get your turn. <laughs> Is it possible to be, quote, just friends or, quote, uh, good friends? Uh, yeah. For example, if my girlfriend or wife has a close male friend, should I be okay with her staying at his place when she goes to visit him? Or what if they talk on the phone for hours at a time? What are the boundaries here? Now, Glenn, if you've gathered yourself enough to respond with uh, actual words as opposed to Tuvan throat singing, which was what the grumbling during that question sounded like to me, yeah. why don't you start us off? Well, uh, yeah, let's be fair. Uh, what, you're, what you're asking us is to kind of referee a situation that's kind of tough to referee. Uh, in, inherently, there's nothing wrong here. I mean, you know, it, if you have... a girlfriend that you trust and a buddy that you trust and they know each other and they're hanging out and visiting or whatever, there's no reason to really worry about that kind of stuff. Well, and as we, we were talking about this question before the show, and it really is, as I'm sure these guys get into, a question of individual specifics, which Christians right. don't really like. And we were, we were surmising, and I think we can go into it with this assumption that a lot of the type of questions we get like this, which we're, we're happy to answer, and they're important questions, you want... You, you want to get the stuff lined out, but is people who maybe don't have a lot of relationship experience yes. trying to guess what type of problems would come up in relationships? Right. Yes. And that leads to an inherently skewed perspective. Yes. We, we, we never want to make fun of the questions people write in, but if you had looked, if you told someone there is such a thing as an internal combustion engine, 
Right. You have never seen it nor looked upon it. Right. But what do you think might be the biggest problem with it? <laughs> right. They would probably guess a little wrong. Right, right, right. But right, so right. I think, as you're pointing out here, that's really kind of what we're talking about here. Less than, we can't tell you if your theoretical wife should stay with this buddy. That, right. I'd tell you your relationship with him and what size is the house and where do they mm-hmm. live and is he married, is it whatever. But we can talk about these kind of thought presses and decision-making ideas that go into a healthy relationship, right? That's that's exactly right. I think in, in many respects, the problem here is that uh, what too many Christians have been told about dating is what you need to do is just go out and meet members of the opposite sex and make friends. Sure. Then you become friends. and you It's become, like pre-dating, yeah, and then you become good friends, and then you become really good friends, and then you uh, somebody sneezes, and then you're basically married. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is not— Those Presbyterian wedding rituals are weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know the sneeze was integral. I thought that was just the thing that happened. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. Um, the, the problem with that is, uh, uh, first of all, that's just not how— healthy marriages come about. Yeah. I, I don't know who started that idea and why it spread through the church, but that's not it. You know, yeah. I, I married my best friend, and then you think, well, this is how we do this and whatever else. Here's the thing. Uh, the healthy way to go about this is to make friends with the people of your own gender yeah. and date people yeah. of the opposite gender. Now, what what happens is when you say, I want to make friends first with members of the opposite sex, that means it's as if you're entering into a pre-dating situation you're with not. that person, which you are not. And right. so now that is sort of laden with all sorts of, of meaning to it. Uh, that's a problem. Here's another problem. The way that you work this out is you start, you, here's what you need to do, is build a time machine, get in it, go back to when you're 15 years old, and then have a girlfriend, uh, and that girlfriend tells you, when you hang out with this other person, it makes me feel a little oogie. Yeah. And then you say, well, I don't, you you shouldn't, and that's... What, but I do. And then she says, but I do. And then you fight about it. I don't mean like fight, but I mean you have, an you, know, you have an argument about it, and you find out in the course of that argument you're right about some stuff and you're wrong about some stuff, and she finds out that she's right about stuff and some stuff and wrong about other stuff, and then you do that same thing with the next person you date and the next person after that, and eventually you get a sense of how to be a decent human being in a relationship. Sure. Then you marry somebody because now you know what to do. Sure. But by there's saying, some subtle hints like if she sets your clothes on fire. That was wrong. That's yes. I learned that. And that's, now you know. Now I know. And that's the process of personal growth. <laughs> For me, that's exactly <laughs> how it went. Now and, and my wife is very thankful that I learned these things, even though it, you know, it took me too long and whatever. But here's the point I'm trying to make is that um what what you're dealing with is really a disadvantage based on you haven't had these experiences. Yeah. And I don't say that to discourage you or, or make you feel sad about the situation, but I am saying that we learn about these things through making mistakes yeah. and that that um, the idea is that you go into this, make as many uh, healthy uh, choices you can as you can make, make as many uh, uh, healthy goals within that of how, what are we looking to achieve? What's the positive thing as opposed to 
trying to not do the negative thing, which is what this question is about. And uh, you'll make some mistakes along that way. But to recognize that's part of relationships. This is why we date. Mm -hmm. This is why Mm -hmm. we aren't married right away is because we realize we have some growth and some learning to do. And we negotiate that stuff out as we date and that that's good and that's okay and that that's healthy. Yeah, absolutely right. Jed, I'd love to go to you on this. There's obviously, as in all cases... Time machine is the best answer. Totally, no doubt about yes. it. Be it phone box, DeLorean shaped, whatever time machine you pick. Yeah. If you want the really big HG Wells one with the spinny wheel, whatever you, you want. You betcha. Your time machine is up to you. But given that we may not have that option yet. Yes. Yet. We're working on it. Sure. Let, let's look at this in a going forward manner. Let's say this is someone who is uh, new to relationships, is starting a relationship, as opposed to, as Glenn is saying, playing whack-a-mole with any particular individual bad habit. What right. are the basic practices of um, communication and boundary setting and kind of some knowledge going into those things that we could give them to give them the best chance of success? That's a great question. So um, uh, I couldn't agree more with everything Glenn said. Let's walk through, because we do have, and there's nothing, there's no problem here. We have a certain number of people listening to this podcast that have never been on a date ever, right? ever. And that's okay. That's no, no problem. problem. We want to encourage you to not stay there. Right. But it's it's not a problem that that's where you are. And you may not know, because you only know so many people, we have uh, both the actual data and the anecdotal data of what's going on with young people in Christian America, Christian colleges. Uh, you are not alone. You are not even a remotely an outlier. Yeah, that's right. You're in your mid-20s right. and have not been here to date. You are part of a culture that has failed you. Yeah, yeah. and we're here to help with that. We're not no here to doubt. put that down. So let's we're going to be super, super basic for a second. Here's how you wind up on a date with a person. You go to a person you have a romantic interest in and say, I would like to take you on a date. Right. Yep. If you are not doing that, then you are not on a date. Right. That is how you wind up on a date. Yeah. I would like to go on a date with you. Yeah. Yes. You must say those words. Yes. If you have not said those words, it is not a date. That's correct. Um, uh, then to go on a second date, you must go back to that person and say, I would like to go on another date with you. Yes. I'd like to take you on another date. Uh, if you want to at some point have them be your girlfriend or your boyfriend, depending, um, you must say to them, I think you should be my girlfriend now. I would right. like for you to be my girlfriend. I would like for us to be exclusive. I would like for us to be exclusive. That that's how that transition happens. When it comes to the point, I you know where you think maybe I want us to be engaged, to be married, and that's something you should talk about before you pop the question. Hello, but I mean seriously, you really want to talk about it before you pop the question. But you do have to bring up. I think I might want to marry you someday. Right. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you have to say, "Will you marry me?" Right, These- right. now, but could I die? Right. Of like embarrassment and things because of asking that. No, but actually that's a great question because here's what could happen at every single stage. That other person can say, yeah, I'm not feeling that. Right. I appreciate you asking, but that's going to be a firm no, hard pass. And then I would just die. No, no. You'd be, you would actually, life would go on. It would would feel like it for a minute. For a minute. But then you push through. But. It's again, it's good that you ask that because this points back to why Glenn is saying be friends with your own gender, yeah. date the opposite gender. Yeah. You being friends with with girls or vice versa, that that's not pre-dating. And and here's yeah. why. It's not dating to say I want to take you on a date. Yep. Right. That's that's it, period, the yeah. end. You being friends with them first actually does not get you closer to it being a date. Right. You may think that it does. It it really doesn't. Right. Um thank you. What it does do is is it creates overhead if this person says no. 
If yeah. you've got a close friendship with a person and you say, you know what, I want to take you on a date, and they say no, it is going to make that friendship weird for a while. Right. There's there's not a way around that. Game um, night's going to be awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, That's life. Uh, Game night's always awkward. Yeah. You know, right. it may well be worth the risk. In other words, it may yeah. be some, you know, I didn't really have a romantic interest in this person, and we just, we were study buddies, and we got mm-hmm. to be friends, and then one day I realized I'm actually kind of crazy about them, and I like to take them on a date. Absolutely. I think that's a very important distinction to make. When we talk about friendship not being predating, we are not saying that it never happens that two people sure. meet and get to know each other a little bit platonically sure. and then decide they want to go on a date. But what right. we're all pointing to here is that it, that is not a thing that happens as a natural progression. That's exactly right. right. That takes an act of will. That takes saying something out loud. There is no such thing as being really good friends to the point you just cross over into dating without that happening. Yeah. Right. Yes. That only happens in poorly written sitcoms. Yes. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So actually, you know, if we're going to try and convert a friendship into a dating relationship. Jed Brewer is engineering love. Exactly right. Then we have some risk because, it, again, if, if they're not into it, that right. is going to cause some weirdness for his friendship. We also want to be clear on this. There's nothing wrong at all with... We have a platonic relationship, and we are friends, study buddies, whatever. And then one day I look over and go, man, she's kind of cool. And I, I wonder if – fine. Abs- no problem right. of any kind. But if you say she's kind of cool, I'm going to be her friend first Whoa, and no. see what we can do. No. It's a bad strategy, and it's yeah. disingenuous. That's right. That's right. Um, um, you, it's hurting both the potential friendship and the potential relationship. That's exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly right. You should have the courage of your convictions – to make a move. Mm-hmm. If, if you've got the heart to make a move, you should make a move. Say that. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Now, with that established, let's look at the basics of you're in a serious relationship. And we want to be clear. The kind of boundaries we're talking about here apply to serious, exclusive relationships. These are not, you know, we've gone to, you know, we've gone and gotten a malted a couple of times. You know, these are yeah. you know, people that are, that are married or moving towards marriage. Uh, there's a few things on this. Here's, here are left and right limits, which are, which are always useful. One, uh, uh, a limit in one direction is if someone is just actively trying to control your behavior, they're trying to tell you who you can and can't talk to, who you can and can't spend time with and whatnot, that's too far in one direction. That is in and of itself definitionally an abusive behavior. Exactly. To limit someone's contact with the outside world. Exactly right. So that's, that's way too far in one direction. And you, unfortunately, there are a certain number of Christian movements out there. That's basically what they think. They've just put Jesus on top of that. Right. And that's if you could hear the air quotes around Christian, you are listening carefully. It's super messed up, so it is. Here's the direction in here's too far in the opposite direction is oh, whatever's fine. There's, there's no problem. Any anything you want to do with anyone right. at any time in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. that's 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 no problem at all. And here's where we get into what it actually means to have a Christian relationship. What you're describing there is an open relationship. Right. It's an open marriage. Right. There, there are no boundaries. She's free to be with whoever she wants. I'm free to be with whoever I want. Um, maybe we tell each other about it. Maybe we don't. There are no limits. There are no rules. We enjoy our life together, but we are not exclusive. Sure. We can do whatever we want. That's what's referred to as an open relationship. Mm-hmm. We stay in the same trailer at Burning Man. Exactly right. right. Um, that is, it's not my place to judge it, but I can tell you that is incompatible with Christian relationships. Right. That is, that is not a Christian relationship. The Christian boundary, here's how you know you've already gone too far in the wrong direction, is if a secular person would look at this and say, well, they're probably having sex. 
then you have gone too far in the yeah, opposite direction. Right. And here's how we know that. The Bible, the New Testament, repeatedly talks about safeguarding your reputation with outsiders. Mm. All right? What that means is if you're engaging in behavior that would cause a non-Christian, which is what it means when it talks about outsiders, to think you are doing something that goes against the Bible's teachings— then you have gone too far. Right. It doesn't actually matter whether you've done the thing or not. Right. But if a non-Christian w- would be observing this behavior and they'd say, I'm pretty sure they got to have some kind of something going on there, then it's, it's too far. Yeah, you're putting off the appearance of evil. Exactly right. And the other caveat that must put there is if a reasonable non-Christian person. Right. Would. Exactly right. We all know those people who assume that any two people of the opposite gender walk on the same side of the street are doing it. But if someone, yeah, if, if based on the evidence, a reasonable party would say, that seems like there's something going on there. So yeah. let's, let's take an example. You asked, I'm going to quote your question directly. If my girlfriend or wife has a close male friend, should I be okay with her staying at his place when she goes to visit him? That's a quote, what you wrote. Um, just so you know, if I'm married and I'm going to sleep over at my young, attractive, single female friend's house, <laughs> that looks like I'm having an affair. Right. Yes. <laughs> It doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter if I am or not. And in a sense it doesn't actually exactly matter if my wife is cool with it or not. Right. Because to anyone paying attention, particularly anyone who is a secular person, it's well clearly they're sleeping together. Right. That's that's what this is. Right. So again, controlling behavior and access to the outside world is too far in one direction. Mm-hmm. Things that look like sinful behavior to reasonable people paying attention who are not Christians is too far in the opposite direction. In between, we've got to communicate. Mm-hmm. We've got to talk with our significant other and figure out how do we be a team and get on the same page here. That is absolutely right. That is obviously the place we want to take this next. Lee, I'd love you to close us out on this. I think uh, this, and we talked last episode a lot about kind of that communication and yeah. getting on the same page. There's a lot of, a lot more of the same here. One thing I would, I would like to um, add to this is there does seem to be an aspect as this person's pointing out of kind of, can we hit the rule bits real easy? And so there's rules on one hand. The other hand, the other thing we need to navigate here, I love you to break down, is this idea of, well, if she brings up the idea of staying with her friend, because it's, you know, it's whatever, it's New York and it's cheaper than a, than a hotel or whatever. And I say that may, you may, that may look weird or I feel uncomfortable with that. Then I'm like being super uh, oppressive and mm. not loving and this does kind of go back to this idea of you have to be able to, if you're in a relationship in which you feel you can't express how you feel, that's a problem in and of itself, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's the whole thing is that we have to be able to say, I have a problem with this this way. I, I'm Look, I'm not making a decision right now, but I want us to talk about this because I feel uncomfortable in some way. And the, if a situation gets brought up like that in a healthy marriage, uh, what we want to do is we want to give that uncomfortable feeling a lot of respect. Uh, we want to give that a lot of respect. Again, as we were saying in the last episode, we want to demonstrate a ton of understanding. We want to do that and with a lot of listening, with a lot of humility. We want to work together as a team to figure out how, like, how can I serve my mate in this situation and by the way, the way to super not do that is to get all defensive about how mm. I've been faithful this whole time. I've never done anything that blah, blah, blah. That is not how you want to lead out on that. Uh, clinical psychologists would call that a hard, uh, harsh startup, and it does not make <laughs> conflict go well. Um, so uh, what we want to do is we want to pay super big attention to um, this situation makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, now, uh r- 
you know, couples that have a, a lot of earned trust, that have a lot of a lot of, you know, positive sentiment, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of equity buildup, you know, emotionally and everything else, they will, they will communicate with each other in ways that they say, look, I'm uncomfortable with this. I, I don't even know why, and I'm not accusing you of anything, but I need us to talk about this because I, I want to understand you and, and I want you to understand me and they can have that conversation. And that doesn't even tell us exactly the way the thing's going to end out. Now, in in the particular example of the question, I'm exactly with Jed on this thing. I think that is clear and obvious. But one of the problems that I think that we do have, which I, I need to mention this because we we do have we do have some some listeners that are the same age as the guys on this uh, on the show. We also have some listeners who are who are very young and who are new to the Christian thing and are, are just kind of coming out of their teenage years. And one of the things that is an extremely 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 regular phenomenon in the in the teenage years in the you know quasi dating scene right now is this phenomenon of what we call talking where um where you know I'm talking with three or four different people and then I may date one of them for a little while and and if that doesn't work out well I've got two or three other people that I'm talking with and so some of these lines seem they seem more normal than to to younger folks than they would to to the to folks the the ages of the guys that are just the hosts on this show. I mean, we look at this and say this is obvious, but for some people of a different age, this might not seem obvious. And part of that is because, exactly as Jed says, the there, there's a whole lot of chickenhood happening in the yeah. realm of dating. There is yeah. there's not a lot of hey, I'm interested in you and I would like to go out on a date with you. How do you feel about going out on a date with me? I mean, obviously we want to use we want to be smooth with that if we have any smoothness whatsoever, but even if you don't, those words, but there's not a lot of that happening in the in the world of teenage dating and some of that and what you have is you have people in these extremely murky relationships where a, a whole lot of anything goes because we're just talking, man. And the the problem with talking is it has all kinds of physical everything going on, but I can be talking with three or four different people and not even dating anybody or dating somebody and you've got some side talking people that you've got going on on the side. And so people carry that into adult relationships and so the whole thing feels murky. And a lot of this comes out of just the fact that I'm I don't have the guts to look someone in the eye and ask them out. Yep. I'm afraid of that conversation. Now, uh, the the deal is is that that conversation to get a date that takes some courage because it requires risk, um, just as as Jed's saying. But also, once I'm in a relationship, and the reason that's good is that once I'm in a relationship, you're going to have to have conversations that are potentially awkward, um, somewhat confusing, uh, possibly conflictual, um, and take courage. You're going to have to have those kinds of conversations, let me say this clearly, for the rest of your natural life. Yep. If you are going to have a healthy relationship, you will have to have conversations that require require a a patience, creativity, servanthood, humility, um, time, understanding. You're going to have to have courageous, risky conversations like that. Again, for the rest of your human life, you do not, in the midst of a healthy relationship, graduate out of having these types of conversations where someone yeah. says, now listen, I've been married for a long time. Glenn has been married way longer than I have. 
Holy my cow. boss has been married longer than this brother. And here's what I'm telling you. Both of both Glenn and my boss, Tom, would tell you they still have conversations on the regular where someone says, I'm uncomfortable with what you're yeah. proposing to do. And yeah, I need you to hear me when, out on that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. So here's what I'm saying. If we're not willing to figure out how to grow in these conversations and have them yep. and have courageous, possibly risky, possibly conflictual conversations that require humility, uh, servant-hearted, understanding, all of that stuff, forgiveness, patience. If we can't have those conversations, you may not enter into a healthy, uh, serious relationship. You're not ready for it yet because a healthy relationship will have those conversations the whole time the whole time absolutely right if you would like a little peek inside premarital counseling with one pastor lee younger i have the feeling the phrase for the rest of your natural life yeah (laughs) comes up quite a few times as well it should yeah um i I will i will tack on just the end here the both these guys pointed out to give kind of one more level of nuance to this idea of what the the appearance of impropriety might be the uh, unnecessarily um multi-syllabic phrase you would hear used for exactly what these guys are talking about. Does this look hinky to a reasonable outsider? Now, one of the other th- aspects of this is we're, we're kind of talking about this question before we went on the air and said, just, especially with, you know, stays at his place when she goes to visit. There's a billion factors in that, yep. which is why we can't set the, the role on it. But at some point, yes, if you, if your wife goes to visit, you know, whatever friend they used to go to the church and move to California and you guys are in New York, whatever is some nosy old lady. Oh, where's Sabbath morning? Oh, she's out there. What's she doing out there? Oh, she's just visiting, you know, so-and-so used to go to church. Was she staying with him? And if in that moment you can say, yes, she is staying with him and his wife in their large home in which she has her own bedroom, buzz off. Right. Right. That state, that still fits in the realm of, uh, how it looks for a reasonable person. Now, again, yes, it, some of this plays, if if you are in ministry, uh, don't have your car parked out in front of a single person of the opposite gender's house. Right. Just right. don't play with that. Right. But with, for, you know, normal people, the the idea of, is this a reasonable thing, involves the explanation. Yeah. And that, again, that's, we talk about a lot on the show, that is where we can divide the busy bodies from people who actually have a point. You know, if you're, pa- if you're an elder at the church and the pastor cuffs you and says, yeah, I, I know it's not anything, but just, you know, I got I to gotta keep these church ladies off my back. So if we mm. can just, if we could just do a hotel next time, that yeah. would be super great. Yeah. That That's all fine. That all fits. But as these guys, as we talked about a lot of, little bit on the last episode, there is such a thing as she feels fine about it. I feel fine about it. We prayed it up and we get the strong sense that God feels fine about it. The rest of you can kind of stick it. And again, that is where a lot of these conversations start. But to get to that place, exactly as Lee was saying, you have to get all the things you don't feel fine about out yep. and get those explanations. And that's, as uh, Glenn will often refer to it when he's advising married couples, as presenting a united front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get it all out on the table before a decision is made. And then once decision is made, feel good about it. If you don't feel good about it yet, we have not made a healthy decision. And that applies to these situations, but it certainly applies to, again, if you're kind of, if you're someone who's not had a lot of relationship experience, does not understand 
the in, not understanding the individual problems that could come up in a relationship is not a good reason to be scared. What you need to understand is how you can diagnose and approach these problems in a healthy way and open and safe communication and then teamwork to find a solution is the answer to whatever comes up. And if you can have someone you can get on the same page on that with, you got someone you can have a healthy and not scary relationship with. Or you might be doomed. Who knows? Hmm. That's Probably possible doomed. too. You're doomed because of your wickedness. Yes. And on that <laughs> very cheery note, we're going to take you out with a song from our friend and interview subject, Julian DeShazier. This is his rap, Arsenal Ego, Jay Quest. This is a song off of his album Lemonade, available at jkwest.com. The track is called Still All Right. You can be on the lookout if you go to jquest.com. There's a music video coming for it very soon. We're going to take you out with that. We want to thank Julian for talking to us. We want to thank you for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, the world's first and only clothing optional Christian podcast. I thank God I'm alive now. I'm trying to live. I wake up and high five like we little kids. Then we out into the fire. So whatever will let it be, I will be still. And that's me, and I ain't saying that it's perfect. There's plenty I don't like. Complaining ain't worth it. I'm strong enough to fight. So when you live in day to day and say you only trying to eat, but all you got is cereal, gone. Eat them fruity pebbles, G. Hard times need a rebel beef from the south side where the base gotta stand. Where the trouble is trying to throw lemons and salt on my women. So my business is southern lemonade. And pretzels, but it's half empty, man. It's always something. Yeah. If life taught me nothing, it's always something. You know. And you can cave to it Whoa. and be a slave to it, Why? but you gon' end up okay. So today, got a hundred dollars left and I owe one twelve, but still, still don't it feel alright. Got a quarter tank of gas and I gotta make it last. I still pass. Don't it feel And starting to feel like a chef on chop And only the hood know me like a black on shopping Talking to them LKs that could get you killed But still, still don't it feel alright? We're little young and so voters so I try to kick it We stop believing in the government, we politicking And getting money, bad boys like the 80s Pistons Selling the drugs that they gave us as hell This is a hell of a system, how we supposed to get along? Keep writing them songs that hopefully write wrongs And hopefully, man, hoping is only half of the battle You praying and doing nothing like complaining about being out of shape But you hate running on my knees messed up it's always something if life taught me nothing it's always something and you can cake to it and be a slave to it but you gonna end up okay so today got a hundred dollars left and i owe one twelve but still Don't it feel alright? Got a hundred dollars left and I owe one twelve, but still.